This is In Search of the Pluriverse. We are Sophie Creer and Eric Wong. Join us on our quest for a world in which many worlds fit. We were invited by Het Nieuwe Instituut to be the first curators of their traveling academy. You can follow us online at pluriverse.hetnieuweinstituut.nl Get out of bed, turn the oven on. And then it's 18 minutes later, the oven is warm, so I get another 18 minutes in bed. <laughs> and then as the alarm goes, then the bread has to go in. And then I, I have another half hour in bed sometimes. And then with a second loaf, I get up. Yeah. yeah. And it smells good. Mm, yeah, it it's nice. So good. And it warms the kitchen, which is great in the winter because it's not a very warm house. Can you, can you tell me a little bit how this bread making started? How did you get started on this and how has it sort of shaped your rhythm here? It started with um, Maria Callas. Uh, like it's, there's a tradition that you give your sourdough mother a name. And um, my advice, never start trying to make a sourdough uh, from the start in the winter, at least not in a cold house, because there's no, not much life in the air. But I found that my stereo had a warm spool, yeah. so I used the warmth of my stereo to heat the sourdough, and I played a lot of Maria Callas. So then I named it, but then she died. Uh, the starter. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't well balanced with the lacto acids. And How uh, do you know when a starter dies? Oh, you smell it. It's just, that's over. Uh, in the meantime, our neighbor Judy started making hers as well. So at some point we had four or five batches of different sort of successful starters and uh, started mixing them up. But so how, how did you, how did you, did you just walk over there with a bag or a little box? How did yeah, that little like, starter get Well, you, you can start with, you need a bit of fruit. Uh, some people uh, do it with fruit, like raisins or apple. Yeah. Others just uh, use rye flour and let it ferment and then you develop the yeast, um, wild yeast and at some point the lactoacid bacteria comes in also and they get a balance and it's a lot of fiddling to get to get it alive. Um, Judy was struggling, I was struggling and then once this sourdough, so that the mother was functioning, we were still struggling I think for a year and a half with suddenly uh, like a bread that was massively solid and we would always discuss this um, like and blame it on the weather. Like I told yesterday about the mayonnaise. If it doesn't work, you blame it on the weather. But if we hadn't just um, grasped the whole thing. So the whole thing is what I, what I really like now is that it's, because it's integrated in my rhythm. When that started to happen, I would, every time I would pass the kitchen anyway, I would have a look, I have a smell of the sourdough. So to get it in my system, which is sort of extra effort. But then now I'd, I can sort of see from a distance whether it's all right or not, especially with the change of the season. So now we're moving into autumn soon. There will be a day or, or two or two loaves that, that I know are not so good. But I can already tell from the first hour after flour is mixed that I feel it's, it's just a difficult one because the whole thing is alive. I mean, it changes. Like it's, it's, it goes into a winter dormancy, I think. And then, sort of, you can bake with a winter dormant sourdough, I think. I mean, that's how I see it. But you need to treat it differently. You need way more hours to wake it up slowly, and then it becomes active. So, 
But then you're in your summer rhythm where everything goes faster with a rising. And what's this little round thing you put Oh, it's, it's just uh, because I have to turn it round um, and then take this off and then it doesn't stick to the... Yeah, you so just it, so it's a little ball yeah, from and then, woven so this is the top uh, of the bread. It feels? Exactly. So, so this side of the, um, the dough is the top of the bread and I... Okay, um, so the top of the bread starts on the bottom. Exactly, it rises upside and down. And then you turn it upside down. Yeah, it's a proving basket. This helps retain the humidity and it shouldn't stick too much with the, with the flour. Yeah. gives a beautiful pattern also. Beautiful. Yeah. So how much time do we have now till this one has to... Oh, it's just... Uh, 25 minutes left? No, no. Because you didn't put an alarm? Just the um, lid off to make it crispy. Uh, and then it's it sort comes of finished, out. so okay. I think um, if we have, if we chat away for another minute, uh, <laughs> and then you I can put the, put, the, put the next loaf so in and then we have half hour. Okay, if we have one minute, um, you, you've made that initial little, it's a little thing, right? It fits in your hand. No, no, it's a, it's, it's a liquid, basically um, equal weight water and flour, that's it, and you that's the base in which the bacteria and the lacto acid can, can, can thrive and then you just have to, I mean they eat it and they consume it um, and then it's the secretion of one of the two sort of main inhabitants is the food for the other and together they have a really strong sort of a resistance or it's, they create a quite a toxic environment for other fungi to live in so that's why it, keeps well so long because yeah, it's because it's uh, you sometimes hear stories of sourdough being passed on from grandmothers to it's po absolutely possible yeah you just have to feed it keep it, going it, like you just theoretically it has a eternal life and you feed, so you use a bit so mine mine lives in the fridge judy's lives on the counter so even though we started the same judy's doesn't like it in the fridge so this is it uh it's yeah, you it's said just liquid, a thick, but it's quite. It's yeah, so thick. Th even a thick yogurt, but. And it's in a glass jar. Yeah, and not, not can really screw it? it. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I can mildly smell your bread when it's <laughs> mildly acid. So you you'll take a little bit of that. Yeah. Like, I don't know a, a spoon of it. Yeah, a bit. Yeah, a bit say more. a big spoon. A big spoon. And, and then and then you and dissolve that and bring it to room temperature. And then, so like with with yeast as well, like these things start to live. But so you know, everything you take, you also give something back. You, you put against some milk and yeah. some water. No, uh, no, no milk, flour. So flour. Flour and water. That's it. That's what they feed on. Yeah. For three generations. Yeah, just flour, <laughs> just basically flour, and they need the water to sort of move around, move around. in a barn, I should say, uh -huh. <laughs> and it's one of three barns, there's one on the right, one on the left. Yeah, so the one on the right is uh, John's barn, um, uses it for storage for cattle feed and hay and 
tractors is in there sometimes. And on the left is Jimmy's barn. He just uses this one for um, to sort his sheep and do some dosing and selecting and some other treatments. And then the middle barn um, was sort of obsolete for yeah. probably f maybe 15 years, but just just used as a dump. Uh, apart from the the backside where uh, we built a um, guest studio, that was used for pigs because when when we found it, it had half a meter of pig manure. Uh, and nettles growing. It didn't have a front or a back barn, so it was just a wind tunnel and a dump. So it took us two years to empty the barn bit by bit, and bring it to the recycle. Uh, which is um, on mill. Which is not on mill. Did no. you have to get things off the island? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How, how, does, how did that work? Then? Uh, fill the van, drive over, uh, pay the for the crossing. All the way to cross. Kregner? Yeah, pay for the crossing with the car, and then to the dump uh, or to the recycle. Uh, so it's place. like a day trip every time. Yeah, actually. very much. Yeah, and then combine it with a dentist or. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, you, we, we can now step in, but you, we couldn't step in. We could. Um, You're opening a door now. Beautiful. Lady. So we could get the van in until sort of where you stand, like meter and a half in, and then the rest was just. On the both sides and here was just filled to the ceiling almost. And the barn is sort of 20 meter long and 8 meter wide. And it was just filled, filled, filled with rubbish and dust and leaking everywhere. So uh, people had no... They thought it, we were pretty stupid to... Even uh, want to, to. Even want to clean it because... Uh, maybe annoying also because they, they, they could use it for their rubbish. And now they couldn't because I was taking over. But we just coming from Amsterdam, we just saw like potential space. We didn't even think about uh, that it would be too much work or something because we thought, oh well. We start. Yeah, we start and then we'll see how far we get. Um, mm. The pig manure was great. We did an exchange with the neighbors. They were quite keen to have it. So we asked them to help us dig it out. Uh, yeah, we kept some for our garden, but it was a, an overkill. It would have been an overkill for our garden, so much manure. Yeah. Um, so, so here's the here's a wooden barn in the original barn. There's about what would we say like twenty centimeters, thirty space, space in between on top, and about a beater on each side. Yeah. Big, big white door. Shall we walk in? Yeah. Have a look. So, what what it does also, um, like this barn was about to collapse probably with the roof. So the structure I built inside of it keeps um, supports the roof. So I built a very strong structure, way stronger than it needed for it for itself, but it keeps the roof, uh, the top roof, where where it's um, supposed to be, and then inside is just a, a clean space. Yeah, and then there is a in the guest studio in the back. There's a big window too. So if everything is open, the front doors and the back, then it's a it's a tunnel again, like it was. It didn't have a front or a back. And what we're trying to build here with the barn, that's why we... Uh, so this section is project space, workshop space, my wood workshop space, um, guest studio exhibition space. And then the back space is a guest studio place to work. And sometimes, depending on the project, they can have both for them to use. But what we're trying to do with the whole Nopolygon project is... Because the barn is on a transitional sort of side. There's a hiking path towards the rewilding project. Uh, so everyone who goes into there passes the barn, uh, passes our, through our yard. And we thought it'd be interesting 
from our sort of art and literature perspective, which is all about the landscape, to create this uh, zone, transitional zone between sort of worked farmland and the village on one side, and then the rewilding on the other side. To sort of add a layer to um, people's, the, the way people consume nature or are in nature. Because often, you know, they come here for the key species, they want to see the eagle, so they just walk and they, they hope to see the eagle. And we think through art and literature and design and all the projects we do, we can add a lot of um, layers to their um, experience. Yeah. But, but how does that work then? Like you catch hikers <laughs> on their way to Chiverigan? Yeah, that often happens because we always hang about in the yard working and we, we often have chats with people. But uh, one plan is... Um, the facade on that. Um, we we'll walk to it. Yeah. The so on the outside, uh, we'll make windows that we can use as displays for the books we're making. But we're also thinking to do um, sort of unit with audio, like an audio guide. And the front space, we want to install it as a shelter also for people. But shelter as in like sitting. Yeah. Having always here some water. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and so dry, snacks, dry space. Dry snacks. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, we, we trying to make a living here or survive here. Um, we have plan Hold B and C and D. Yeah, <laughs> thrive. Do some baking and sell some coffee and tea. It's it's not plan B. It's far yeah. back in the row. But uh, yeah, so this this space could be that. Mm-hmm. And and another thing we will definitely do um, is do a um, homebrew music club. In the front space, to yeah, where we yeah, 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 just a little bar there and some nice lights and people here. So that's for locals. People here don't he- need heating; they just need their uh, guitar and their voice and then a beer. And lots of people brew their own drinks, so, so that will be beautiful to share. Yeah, a pile. And but for one question, I I, I have having come here to see Nakwolgen and, and how you. Managing to do all of this here is how how does this relate to um, because you come from uh, also a studio practice you were mm-hmm. head in the jewelry department at Reedfoot Academy so um, I know you also as someone who may, was making very tiny intricate things and the other night when we spoke you had brought two lovely little tiny oil paintings to the table with sort of miniatures mm-hmm. I don't, don't know exactly what they represent they could have been maps or not maps uh-huh. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, but how does uh, such a big like building effort like this, how does that relate to that part of your artistic practice? I, I, I have recently re- rewoken it, um, so I'm starting. That's also why I wanted to show it, because it, it's also for myself to push myself to invest a bit more time. Um, but yeah, I, I had a sort of traditional studio practice um, already mixed with um, the um, academy a lot. So then when we decided to move here, it was clear that me could continue what she was doing and needed to as an author. And then I I just sacrificed my time to to build, but also um, uh, to develop the whole idea of Nokvolog and what it could be as a study place for for art and literature. That's how I could justify it for myself, that it's making a place. So I, I, I I pushed the other practice in my, in the smallest room we have, not knowing what to do with it. I mean, that's that's something that changed. Uh, I just didn't understand what to do with it. Mm. 
because it doesn't really relate to landscape. Um, and there's no people here that would appreciate it because it's so sort of hermetic sort of work that doesn't speak to the imagination very easily. It, it, it needs a sort of city discourse to thrive in, you know. And then I f came here and it's the wrong landscape for the, or the wrong environment, I'd say. But the idea now, what I feel is that I'm having almost finished with the large-scale facilities, uh, the infrastructure, having created a place for people to come. I might be one of those people. Um, so I've created an environment in which I feel more confident that it makes sense to reactivate the sort of painting practice. There are midgets and eating us. Oh, right? yeah, That's it's pretty bad. The listeners yeah, yeah, yeah. are hearing all this. <laughs> we could we either have? step back or go to the kitchen. Shall we go back to yeah, the kitchen? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Also, so we I'll are just close this up. <laughs> But that's something, that's something else. I mean, the small works are very tactile and sort of complicated, delicate Japanese varnishing techniques and all that. And it's just having done that a lot and working in the jewelry context, more as a teacher, but yeah, having the affinity with the small stuff, I also use it in the building. So um, I just feel when things don't feel right and then I mm. want to know why like the door something In Search of the Pluriverse is part of the Travelling Academy an initiative of Het Nieuwe Institute in close partnership with the Consulate General in Istanbul and embassies in Germany Morocco Spain and the UK The Travelling Academy brings together makers from these regions and the Netherlands to learn how formal and informal ways of knowing can support each other in tackling ecological, sociopolitical and spatial issues. <laughs> 